Blunt Skulls, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rockin' good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be here, your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what's shaking? Not much. Um, kind of a throwback episode tonight. Never thought we'd dig into this one. No, it's... <laughs> it, and it's, it's it's kind of fortuitous that we're doing it tonight because we're on the eve of like the 30th anniversary of Coneheads, <laughs> uh, a, a, an auspicious date in the calendar that nobody asked for. <laughs> but here we are tonight. We, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of the X-Files, so it only made sense. Let's also celebrate Coneheads tonight. Yes, we're in a very sort of alien summer. We, we really are. Like the 90s were all about aliens, and I think it's it's coming back around now. Did you ever have uh, like the alien head necklace or keychain? No, I never did. Um, I my, one of my friends liked to pass around like alien head guitar picks. That's like the closest I ever got. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, my sister had an alien head necklace. I never had one, but I can like I can see it if I close. Like I could just picture it. Right. The, the, so, kind of surprised those haven't come back. Like the great kind of triangle with the weird like eyeball. Yeah. Yep. Love that. Enamel. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Well, before we talk about Coneheads, let's go back to our last episode where we talked about the, the X-Files movie soundtrack. And uh, the poll for that episode was pretty cut and dry. Uh, we had four songs that we put up to ask you what the best song on that soundtrack was. And, of course, winning the poll with 50% was the Foo Fighters Walking After You. It's a great song. Like, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't what I voted for, but um, I do love it. I mean, it was what I voted for. So there you go. <laughs> and then uh, tied for second place with 25%, we had uh, Better Than Ezra's One More Murder. Heck and yeah. then uh, More Than This by The Cure. Both good songs. And then Sorry X, Crystal Ship, got a, a big old goose egg. Yeah, we didn't love that one either. Uh, if I'm being honest, I just kind of had to pick one to put in there. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was bound to be something else. But um, after this episode, we'll put up a poll for the Conehead soundtrack, and we'll let you decide what the best soundtrack on this is uh, on Twitter, as long as Twitter holds out. We keep saying that, but it keeps being true. Yes. Um, now, this soundtrack was actually uh, reissued on vinyl in 2019. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. Was it, like, misshapen? Like a Conehead? No, it was not. But um, I believe it was a record store day reissue okay that makes and sense. there apparently is a copy available for purchase at rock fantasy okay in middletown new york which i learned about because it was in the special when lit pinball documentary it's like a head shop slash record store Ooh. slash pinball arcade nice yeah I am, food, they have the foo fighters pinball machine that i talked about last week oh yeah okay cool I hadn't had a chance to play that one yet, but I'm I'm excited. It's pretty good. So if you come up to Rock Fantasy, you can play Foo Fighters Pinball in honor of our X-Files episode. You can pick up a copy of the Conehead soundtrack on vinyl. Nice. It, that's a road trip I'm ready for. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, let's let's dive straight into Coneheads. Libby, uh, what's what's your kind of history with this movie? 
I vaguely remember catching part of it on TV, but I don't think I ever watched it all the way through. I think it probably played a lot on Stars and Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't think I ever watched the whole thing. Although I remember some of the skits from SNL, like catching old episodes of Saturday Night Live and watching the Coneheads. So what about you? Yeah, kind of the same. Like I know it was on Comedy Central a lot as a kid, and I know I saw scenes here and there, but... Uh, I don't think I had actually like sat down to watch it until well into my adulthood when <laughs> there's no reason to watch Coneheads as an adult in 2023, but here we are. Uh, no, I actually just watched this a couple of months ago, kind of by accident, and when I suggested this for this uh, episode, I knew that it was on Amazon Prime. When I went to watch it, they had taken it off and you had to pay to rent it, <laughs> which I kind of felt a little... Uh, uh, insulted by because when I did rent it and I clicked play, it started it from the middle of the movie, which was where I stopped it last time when I watched it for free. Thanks a lot, you jerks. Oh, Amazon we can't just... have anything nice in this world. No, we can't just have coneheads free. We shouldn't have to pay for coneheads, really. Like, no, that's not even a joke. It's 2023. Nobody should have to pay for the movie Coneheads. We're the chumps who did. <laughs> We're the chumps who did. Like, if I run for president, that's going to be on my platform. Like, nobody will have to pay for Coneheads. Read my lips. Um, so let's go to uh, billboarding school for Coneheads. Yes. Which I was surprised to see that there is some. It charted, but not for very long. So the mm-hmm. Coneheads soundtrack... Uh, came out July 20th, 1993, almost 30 years ago, uh, entered the charts on in August at number 194. The number one album that week was Cypress Hill's Black Sunday. Okay. Top soundtrack that week was Sleepless in Seattle at number three. Also a good one. Okay. It's, it's kind of a forgotten movie. Like, I don't even remember what was on that soundtrack. Yeah. But Coneheads lasted six weeks, peaked at number 162. So it never really made it that far. Uh, fell off the charts in September when the number one album was Garth Brooks's In Pieces. Of course. And the top soundtrack was still Sleepless in Seattle at number five. And all of this frustrates me because Cypress Hill and Garth Brooks, like, we almost, we could have talked about U2's Zuropa or Billy Joel's River of Dreams, but we were just off by that much. <laughs> we could have made fun of U2 and, and uh, Billy Joel just a little bit, but no. You know. Now they're having their revenge. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but one of the songs off of the soundtrack did become a pretty solid uh, Billboard hit. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, final thoughts. The Conehead movie came out July 23rd, 1983, my seventh birthday. And so, so we're talking about it on my 37th birthday. Right. So, yeah, I'm 37? <laughs> Uh, came out six number six at the box office that week behind these films poetic justice with janet jackson in the line of fire the firm free willy and jurassic park big summer mind (laughs) you like jurassic park had been out for like the whole summer at this point so it's still hanging in there coneheads couldn't even slot in above jurassic park oh nothing could no no uh and it went on to gross 21 million on a 30 million budget so Mm. there you have it it was kind of born to live on forever on basic cable yeah it definitely has big like vhs 
in your dorm room vibes. It really does, yeah. And I mean, fitting for like a movie based on a Saturday Night Live sketch, that's kind of where it belongs. Yeah, they were probably thinking they were going to have another Wayne's World. I, that, I think that's almost exactly the the thinking. Yeah. Because like they saw Wayne's World was going to be a hit, and Lauren Michaels was like, we got to make more movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Blues Brothers was a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Wayne's World. And like, yeah. I know right away we got like a, a Stuart Smalley movie and an It's oh. Pat movie. And a little bit later, there was, you know, The Ladies' Man and Superstar and Night at the Roxbury. So, like, the 90s was, like, the big SNL boom. And somehow, Coneheads was the first one out the gate. Well, no. I mean, Wayne's World was. Well, like, the oh. the, the push to make more. Like, oh. Coneheads was the first one that they got out. And, like, eh, maybe the, yeah, the public was wasn't ready for that. Law of Diminishing Returns. Yeah, it hit quick. You just, you couldn't top, you know, Wayne's World and Blues Brothers. Right. You just couldn't recapture that magic. And they tried, because we've you seen Wayne's World 2? Yeesh. I'm surprised they never made a uh, Land Shark movie. I, and I know also, like, they almost made a John Lovett's Pathological Liar movie. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. So, or, um, let's see, what else could they have done? Matt Foley, motivational speaker. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Like a Matt Foley, no, I mean, I would watch it. I probably would. It wouldn't be that funny, but they would, would all be trash. They would all be <laughs> trash. <laughs> Most SNL movies are, but here we are talking about Coneheads. So uh, the soundtrack for this movie is interesting. We'll talk, kind of go through the movie because that's kind of the jumbled order of the uh, the songs here. And so, you know, you the Coneheads, you've got Beldar Conehead played by Dan Aykroyd. And his wife, Primat, played by Jane Curtin, and they're space aliens from the planet Remulac coming to Earth to scout out for whatever it is they're scouting for. Intergalactic war. Sure, why not? They're going to take over the planet, as aliens are want to do. Right. I think they actually say they're like they're scouting for, for fuel reserves. So, you know, this is the early 90s when, you know, oil fields are the, all the rage. So I'm sure there was something going on there. But their their ship gets shot down by the the Air Force, and they're forced to assimilate into uh, the U.S. culture, as yes. it were. Wow, um, or a very a hyper stylized version of it, um, which is you know definitely played for some laughs. Did you notice uh, that David Spade and Chris Farley shared their screen credit? I did not know this. They got the same as they were going through the cast. um, They were on the same screen, which made me really happy. Which is funny because I don't think they ever actually share the screen in the film proper. (laughs) They don't, but rest in peace, Chris. I know. Unfortunately, this is the first of three movies they had together and they should have had so many more. But uh, and, and again, another thing about this film is it is just packed to the gills with like famous comedians. Yeah. Because the first person they meet is Michael Richards, who runs a hotel. Mm-hmm. Now, right off the bat, their conehead speak was already wearing thin five minutes into the movie. And I was like, I am over this kind of like, we shall pay with shiny metal discs. Oh, yeah. I was like, the, oh, boy, I'm in for a long haul. Like the super forced kind of descriptions of everyday stuff is not great. Yeah, it just reminded me of really bad sci-fi that I would read in grad school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 
I, I don't want to say it, but I, I will. It's the worst kind of like sketch improv kind of humor. Mm-hmm. Like, like oh, they mean quarters. Ha 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 ha. You get it. Yeah, that's great. It wore very thin very quickly. <laughs> but uh, Beldark immediately gets a job as a mechanic, like a repairman at a repair shop run by Sinbad, of all people. As Otto. As Otto. And here's where the first song on our soundtrack plays. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry to have to do this to you. But the first song that plays in the film is Public Enemies Fight the Power. But it's not by Public Enemy. It's by the Bare Naked Ladies. So fine, let's go to a clip. We've got to fight the powers that be. As the rhythm's designed to bounce, work counters as the rhyme's designed to fill your mind. Now that you realize, the breath of rhyme, we got to put the stuff and make it tough. From the heart, it's a start of work of art to revolutionize, make a change, nothing strange. People, people, we are the same. No, we're not the same because we don't know the game. Again, I just, I, I apologize on behalf of the world that this exists i feel like canada owes us an apology um i hate this song i (laughs) hated it before i heard it i hate it on principle Mm -hmm. i don't care that it's fairly well made i hate that it exists and the bare naked ladies should be deeply deeply ashamed of themselves the only credit i will give this is that deep in the film they start chanting give blood so I feel like at some point they realized they're doing something wrong and they need to start like writing that ship. <laughs> like put some kind of positive message in here, please. But just like the placement of it in Sinbad's shop. It's so tone deaf. It's, it's yeah. It's just like, ah, oh, come on guys. And it's, it's definitely done like with irony. And I just want to see Chuck D push Stephen page down the stairs right and apparently steven page has a house not far from me so i might just do it myself i mean you could probably get like uh chuck d on cameo and tell him about it and be like you know for an extra cameo for you just go do it and film yeah, it we me. could push steven page down the stairs for what yeah. he has done to your song <laughs> and it's especially baffling too because like anthrax had already done this with public enemy and it was fairly popular so i don't know why bare naked ladies thought they could do it too it's like this sort of irony drenched early nineties horseshit. Yeah. You know, we saw it with Green Jello. Um, uh, we're, we saw it kind of throughout the nineties uh, with pop punk bands covering seventies songs. It's it's just drenched in irony. Like, ooh, we're white and we can do whatever. It goes back to Tank Girl and then that Joan Jett cover of a Cole Porter song. Like, it's the same kind of thing. Although yeah. the more I listen to that one, I actually kind of like it more and more. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, but that one doesn't even seem to quite have the the irony and the self-loathing that yeah, a it's lot not, of them do. It's not like winkingly sarcastic. Yeah. And these are just yeah. like they seem like, oh, we're we're white and we're going to cover this. Because we can, like, just the ultimate in white privilege of just like, haha, look how funny we are. Mm-hmm. Like, what power are you fighting, bare naked ladies? Like, maple syrup cartels? <laughs> did, yeah, did U.S. Border Patrol like bully, bully you guys again? Like, yeah. Like, Stop go, it. Bare naked ladies are on tour this summer. Someone go to a concert and please just yell out, play, fight the power, and see oh, what God, happens. They'll probably do it. 
because they still don't know any better. And I don't mind the bare naked ladies, but this song makes me want to bully them. Oh, yeah. Like, this is the stuff that, like, made them popular, too. Like, this kind of gimmicky stuff. I hate it so much. (laughs) It's awful. There was a great article uh, decrying one week and Mm -hmm. just about how much the author hates one week. Oh, is and that I, the, the guy from Stereo Gum? Yeah. Yes. I love that piece so much. Yes, and he's like, he's like, don't let the sun sit on you in Tulsa, bare naked ladies. <laughs> love it. I love that rage. That's Channel great. that. Rage against the machine, and the machine is the the complex that put bare naked ladies on the charts. Ugh. But anyway, so Beldar has to get a uh, social security number. So Sinbad takes him to see Adam Sandler, who gives him a fake ID and a fake social security number. All right, here's the deal. Your name is Donald R. D. Chico. Got that? Donald R. D. Chico? Yeah, that's you. D-E, capital C-I-C-C-O. You were born August 11th, 1951 in Brockton, Massachusetts. Brockton, Massachusetts? Oh, it's a lovely town there. And your name is what? Donald R. D. Chico? That's right, you are. It's nice to see you. Your wife's name is Mary Margaret Rowney, born June 26, 1955 in Narragansett, Rhode Island. But you're from where? Brockton, Massachusetts. Hey, my mother's from there. I kind of love this scene. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> there's, there's like Adam Sandler is like really, his dialogue is snappy. Um, he's quick. He's, he's well delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of runs away with this scene. It's the start of like a running gag in the film where nobody really ever comments on the Coneheads obviously being space aliens. And like Adam Sandler just treats him like, okay, he's just coming to America. He's here to work. I'm here to help him out. Like he's just a guy. Uh, and that goes back a little bit to like earth girls are easy mm-hmm. where like these guys are obviously just kind of parroting things back. Um, and people just accept them sort of because like, of course they're just eccentric. Yeah. And which I, I kind of love. There's something sort of wholesome about that. That they're not like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Why is your head shaped like that? It's just like, this guy's just trying to support his family. Uh, Primat is pregnant. You know, they're just trying to live the American dream and everyone around them seems to to support that. Yeah. And and she she knows that they need, you know, a, a better home than to live in the basement of Bildar's employer. So she tells him you know we have to go get a house we have to buy a home for our family because this family is growing that's what it's all about right there and so they immediately go out and get a house with no problems which lets you know it's 1993 right there yes we missed the song though did we yes because when he's coming back from the fake id maker oh you're right i'm sorry yes we hear diggable planets little renee okay this honestly makes up for bare naked ladies some real genuine hip-hop on this album yes it's slick and it's cool like i mm-hmm. really this is like one that i played a couple times and like i really like this yeah, like I, I had to play it a few times because I just kept like zoning out because the beat is just so like hypnotic. Yeah, I'm really it's into super it. Super smooth. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, and this one's playing in the car. Um, Beldar offers him some gum, which turns out to be a condom. Ugh, he just great. chews on condoms. That blows yeah. him up. Ugh. You think that's that's a one-off gag? No, it's not. No, but it is kind of funny. <laughs> it's it's all right. I'm it's, juvenile. It's, it's, it's it's more gross than anything. <laughs> but uh, Sinbad gives him a really good lesson here, where he's like, "There's only four rules you gotta live by in this in this country." Felda, you know what the key to success in this country is? I do not. Well, I'm gonna tell you. Look good. Be your own boss. Never get chained to a desk. When it comes to business, take cash only. Look good. Be your own boss. No desk. Cash only. You got it. But of course, you know, Beldar's new social security number raises uh, alarms at the INS. And <laughs> INS agent Seedling, played by Michael McKeon, is on the case. With him is his assistant, played by David Spade. Mm-hmm. Who looks just like John Mulaney. Ooh. Maybe David Spade looks and acts exactly like John Mulaney. Or I should say John Mulaney acts like baby David Spade. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I see that. And Michael McKeon, who I know he wasn't in Saturday Night Live at the time, but he would be later. So he's, he's I think he's the only cast member who would go on to be on Saturday Night Live. Everybody else is either a former or present cast member, which I think is pretty cool. And their friends in. Yeah. And he, he leads the raid on the Coneheads trailer. They escape barely. And at a certain point, they they grab what is it? They grab a, like a card from their from their spaceship and they they analyze it and they realize, oh, these might be space aliens. There's Seedling has this idea where he wants to put shock collars on deportees to Mexico so that when they come back the border zaps them to death. Yes. Which I'm really surprised the Trump administration didn't seize on. I know it, it's, it's weird seeing movies predict the future or, tr- or try to predict the future. Yes. And it's probably a good thing that Trump hates Jeff Bezos so much and didn't rent this movie when it was free on prime because he probably would have thought it was a documentary and it would have shown up in one of his speeches. <laughs> And that would have just been ridiculous. And it would have dominated the news for three days. They, so they, they, where is it they go? They go to Paramus, New Jersey. Yes. And flee. it's kind of interesting here because I, Beldar is working as a cabbie. Um, you know, he's working for a man of uh, Indian descent. And then, you know, they're they're there for the birth of their daughter, Connie, but they decide they need to move out of their, quote, you know, like ethnic neighborhood and get some white friends. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's definitely sort of some white flight in there. And to be respectable, you can't live in, you know, what what at that time was considered, oh, it's the ghetto. It's not safe because there are people of color right there. Yeah. We just need to move to a white space because mm-hmm. they're white passing. Right. And and the idea for them is like they'll move to a white space and they won't be questioned as much by the authorities because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not not an attitude that 
people didn't have. Sorry for the double negative there. Uh, there's definitely, like I said, the parable of, of white flight. Uh, it's a little disappointing. You want to say that they're they're making a point here and like they're making a like a commentary on immigration issues in America, but it really just kind of seems like they're they're depicting it the way that it's been portrayed so often before. And it's just we're going to move to the suburbs and it's this very 1950s. We're going to you know buy a house in Paramus, New Jersey mm-hmm. and live the American dream. Right. And I guess this- it should also be noticed that like when they crash land, you know, in uh in the bay the first thing they see is like new york city so it's like you know immigrants coming through new york you know the way that you know old world europeans did and they call they say that they keep saying they're from france so that whole thing tracks <laughs> so so seedling tries to raid the home again and the coneheads escape just in time and their boss kudri you know he he extols the virtues of, of Beldar Conehead. Like his cab you know, was always sweet smelling. He was always on time. He was the best driver I've ever had. Yes. And the model he, immigrant. Yeah, model immigrant. He loves him. And so they move to the suburbs. They get their house. They take their kid with them. And the next song in our soundtrack plays. It's a fun little montage of the family growing up to Paul Simon's Kodachrome. Yes. And it's all done through sort of Super 8 camera Mm -hmm. and polaroids which i i love it's a nice technique it's a it's a nice touch yeah so let's go to a clip I understand why this works for the montage. Right. I'm um, just, you know, the lyric about Kodachrome and photographs. Um, but this one, like sound wise and lyric wise is so bitter, but also whimsical that I feel like it belongs more on something like Garden State or Orange County. Like there is a grieved skinny small boy all over this, which is, I guess, what Paul Simon was. Yeah, he does have like a, a clear chip on his shoulder about something, but the movie really doesn't key into that. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's it's meant to be very happy and to show them again American dream. Uh, that mm. said, this comes from uh, his album "Here Comes Ryman Simon," which right. is my least favorite album title of all time. It's like nobody calls you that. <laughs> it's like when you try to give yourself a cool nickname, like "Call Me Snake," and everyone's like, "No, I'm not going to do that." You know, they they call me Ryman Simon. No, they who is, don't. Who is they? My yeah. mom. Nobody <laughs> calls you Ryman Simon Paul. <laughs> I don't know. I I may still be salty from Fight the Power. <laughs> but no, that's I, I like. Just like that, very though. angry right now. I, I like this idea that like our Garfunkel got really mad at him and said, "Oh fuck you, Ryman Simon," and he was like, "You know what? It's a good name." <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna call myself that from now on at parties. Oh my god. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you know, when Kodak a few years ago just said they were going to discontinue the Kodachrome, you know, product, this song was all over the place and everybody uh, played it to death. Yeesh, like, yeah, we get it. It's a song about cameras. Okay. <laughs> we don't have to do this. Could not, we could choose not to do this. In the playlist that I sent you for this episode, there was a clip from an MTV special on the Coneheads movie soundtrack. Yes. And 
it's there's a clip for a song that's going to come up later in the film by Slash, where Slash says that his song was meant to be played during this montage. And when we get to that, I will bring this back because in my mind, there's no other way this montage could have gone any other way. Like, because it does like sound wise, it really does fit this sort of gentle, thoughtful, you know, growing up in the suburbs feel. Yeah. It, it, it turns the movie into like a really sweet kind of family comedy. To where, where at this point it was sort of a, a weird joke on immigration, but now like no, we're deeply invested in like the Conehead family prospering in the in the in America and having their good old days. In this montage, we see their daughter Connie, and that is Danielle Aykroyd. Yes, she had visited her dad on the set and wanted a you know to wear the the Conehead, and so he got her in the film so that she could have her own. See, I love that. I love. I know it's like very that. sweet. Yeah. Um, just very briefly, um, sort of heading into the montage, uh, we get to see John Lovitz as the dentist who caps his teeth. Yes. Um, again, making him more acceptable to white society mm-hmm. uh, because he has many, many rows of teeth. And um, Drew Carey plays one of his cab passengers. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the first uh, film appearance by Drew Carey. There's going yeah, to be a handful of, of, of uh, film firsts coming up, too. Mm-hmm. This movie launched a thousand careers. Not really. <laughs> Improbably. <laughs> but, uh, you know, fast forward through the montage. Connie is now 15. They've moved in next door to George Costanza, which is so great. He has hair. <laughs> he was bald. That threw me. I had to rewind. I was like, is that? That's sure Jason is. Alexander. It's Jason Alexander. Yeah. So My you get, get Kramer, you got George. Unfortunately, Jerry and Elaine nowhere to be seen. Oh well. But uh now so now, you know, they're entrenched in society. They're they're assimilated, I guess, and <laughs> Beldar has to go through the unenviable task of driving Connie and her friends around. And she's got a fake tattoo on her cone. Unacceptable. Yes. She's wearing too much makeup. You know, there he has to raise a teenage daughter. Oh yeah. Poor poor Beldar. Poor, Mm. poor Beldar. Mm -hmm. And we we see how just utterly defeated he is as he's driving them around. Connie's two friends, Parker Posey and Joey Lauren Adams. (laughs) Like the same year that all all three of these actresses, by the way, are in Dazed and Confused as like a little click. And here they Mm -hmm. are again in Coneheads. (laughs) (laughs) They're playing uh Soft sells tainted love on the radio, and of course they crank it up and start shouting it in Beldar's ear, and he hates this. <laughs> I would hate that too. Yeah. So let's go to a clip. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away. I've got to get away from the pain you drive into the heart of me. The love we share. things with this album that i'm noticing and obviously soft sell uh tainted love is one of their biggest songs but it's yeah. also it's a cover it is yeah yes um gloria jones recorded the original in 1964 and this album has a bunch of covers on it it does it's it sneaks up on you 
Yes, but it doesn't want to seem to fully commit to either being all covers or only having like one or two because we've, you know, we've seen covers, especially in the 90s. Um, we're starting to get covers of songs from the 60s and 70s. I. Uh, so it's kind right. of it's kind of odd that this is like the one sort of errant uh, 80s hit on the album. Yes. But I guess I'm wondering why so many covers, but not fully committing to a covers album. That You know, that's a good question. And I wonder if it's just because part of me wants to say that they couldn't license the actual songs. So they had to, to commission covers. And yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, it just seems like um, I don't want to say a half-assed effort but because, but it makes for an odd mix. Yeah, yeah, because they they don't seem to have a a theme running through them. Not really, no. So, I'm I'm not a huge fan of Tainted Love. As far as Soft Cell, I prefer Sex Dwarf. Okay, but. I don't think that song would work necessarily in this. Probably not. Especially because this is the song that comes back at the end of the film uh, in a very key moment. So I don't think I don't I don't think I want to hear Dan Aykroyd singing Sex Dwarf. I want nothing more than to hear Dan Aykroyd singing Sex Dwarf. <laughs> All right. Well, Why you not? and I are very different. Have very different <laughs> tastes. Luring disco dollies to a life of vice. <laughs> they used to play it a lot at, at a nightclub that I went to. Oh, uh, okay. So I've got a real soft spot for sex dwarf. <laughs> also, it's called sex dwarf. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, sure. Why not? why not? The 80s were messy. Yeah, I'm just sort of fascinated with that they chose this song as their like sing-along moment. I mean, like it it's very MTV. Um, it's very well known. She would have grown up hearing this. It's. I just think it's just kind of funny and weird. And uh, part of me also wonders, because we're going to hear it at the end of the film, if they went through like, all the 80s songs they could think of and go, which is the most annoying song Dan Aykroyd could sing <laughs> as Beldar? And they landed <laughs> on this one. <laughs> Although Sex Dwarf works better for his particular cadence. Probably. Probably so, yeah. I could hear it. In the Beldar voice, <laughs> you'll listen to it and tell me that uh, tell me that you don't hear it. Okay, Libby's Libby's gonna give me nightmare fuel tonight. I'm gonna go to sleep dreaming of this. Lucky you. <sighs> yeah, lucky me. Uh, but lucky us, uh, we finally get to meet Chris Farley in the film as yes. the mechanic uh, Ronnie, who Connie has kind of a meet cute with as he's trying to fix Beldar's car, and. Uh, he, we'll soon see he has asked her out on a date. And the date they go to is at a subway, which there's your product placement for the film. Yes. And in the background of this scene, we hit get uh, our REM track. It's a free world, baby. Let's go to a clip. I can't I kind of loved, again, like the Foo Fighters song last episode, I kind of loved hearing 
an REM song from the Automatic for the People era that I had not heard before. So this was your favorite? No. Oh? It honestly isn't. Okay. I, I, the novelty of hearing like a, a new REM track I hadn't heard was pretty cool, but it kind of left me a little bit cold. I felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that shift of REM from the jangle pop that they kind of came up as to a darker, more understated alternative rock that was popular with the youths. Yeah. Um, it does sound kind of reminiscent of Man on the Moon. A little bit. A little bit. Um, and it is from that Automatic for the People era. Um, I don't dislike it, but it sounds like a pastiche of R.E.M. rather than R.E.M. Yeah, it's fine. Like, And I get why they cut it from the album, too, because it's that whole album is so like drenched in sadness and melancholy. And this song just kind of isn't any of those things. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. wistful. Yeah, but it, it's not term. it's not aching. Right. Fun fact about this song. It was it was the, the B-side to the single Drive from Automatic for the People. Some countries in the world got a different B-side. Are you familiar with it? Oh. It's a song called The Winged Mammal Theme. And it was, in fact, a song commissioned by the film Batman Returns for R.E.M. Incredible. R.E.M. wrote like an instrumental track that was supposed to be on the Batman Returns soundtrack and got cut. <laughs> so it, depending on where you are in the world, you got uh, no, a knockoff Batman Returns song or it's a free world, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and Incredible. I, I'm, I'm going I'm going to link a uh, winged mammal theme in the show notes because you, you just listen to that and just think, man, Batman could have sounded like this. And it's just like we live in the wrong universe. Oh, well, there is another universe where Batman Returns has an R.E.M. song. And that that universe probably does not also include the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. So do we really want to live in that universe? <laughs> We're going to keep talking about it until we finally get our hands on it. No, don't make me. I will. I will champion this. Kevin Smith, I hate you because you apparently have it. <laughs> I'm going to sanction this kind of buffoonery. <laughs> <laughs> Nor should you. Oh, boy. Uh, so coming around a little bit more, we we get, you know, uh, Veldar has made a name for himself as a driving instructor, which that's true to the SNL sketches. That was his yes. job on, on SNL. Mm-hmm. And he's he's driving around Jan Hooks on, I think, her fifth or sixth driving lesson. And she that, is yeah. just hitting on him like crazy. Inexplicably, but y- you do you, Jan Hooks? If whatever you're into, lady. And Primat's uh, neighbor friend is trying to convince her that something's going on there. And Primat's having her own little B-plot where she's trying to keep the marriage alive. Which is a little bit sad because, like, you look at Beldar and you go, no, this man is, this man cannot be shaken. This this is a good man here. Yes, <laughs> he, he loves, he's a wife guy. He's a, he's a big wife guy. And also, like, you look at Jan Hooks in this film and she, again, talking about Batman, she is dressed just like the Joker. She is. I hadn't she, thought about that, but you're a, not wrong. She's a nightmare of a person. <laughs> but we miss Jan Hooks. She was wonderful. And then, uh, so Ronnie and Connie come back from their next date, I guess, the next night. And he, as he's driving her back into the the driveway, we get the next song on our soundtrack by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Making a return. Yeah, this is Soul to Squeeze. Let's go to a clip. Oh, yeah. Where I go, I just don't. 
was wild because I don't know where I would have heard it, but I knew it instantly. It was like buried somewhere in the recesses of my mm-hmm. brain. And although this song was a B-side to Give It Away and Under the Bridge, it wasn't included on Blood Sugar Sex Magic and instead went on the Conehead soundtrack. But the video features a Conehead, a reference to autos, and Chris Farley as an old-timey truck driver. Yeah. So, like, this is the official Coneheads music video, one of them at least. Yes, one Um, of two. Yeah. But this, this one... It's baffling to me that this song got the music video. And it, first of all, it's clear, like, the time that this song came out, because, like, John Frusciante has, had left the band. He is nowhere to be seen in this video. And so it, you just get, you know, Anthony Kiedis and Flea and Will Ferrell doing their thing at a circus. The only thing I'll say is, like, they do feature a conehead in it. And I feel like, guys, Chili Peppers, congratulations you found the one instance where calling someone a conehead is a bad thing. Yeah. You really yeah. screwed it up there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> guys kind of botched that one. Um, but this video, I mean, the, the look of the video is is pretty good. It looks like, um, it, or it kind of reminded me of like the Tonight Tonight video. It, yeah. like, it looked like it should have been a Smashing Pumpkins video. And um, the director, Kevin Kerslake, did videos for the Smashing Pumpkins. He did videos for everybody. Um, but he did um Chara Brock. Right. Instead. Yeah. Now I'm I'm gonna make you really mad here. I think this might be my favorite song on the album. Second guess. Yeah. But I went with something just like ever so slightly less chill. Because mm. this one is chill to the point of comatose. Well, this is it's chill, but like I in my head, I'm thinking like compare this to Under the Bridge, and I, I think I just prefer this one because under the bridge is so laser specific like it couldn't be about anything besides anthony kiedis's heroin problem yes but and and then and then you get to this song and it's just like you just gotta chill out just calm down everything's gonna be fine and i i I just appreciate it more i think okay and it's it's definitely like the chili peppers song that you for some reason will hear in grocery stores because it's that chill yeah I guess like when I think of the Chili Peppers, I I get stuck on uh, Love Roller Coaster from Beavis and oh, Butthead soundtrack. No, totally. <laughs> I mean, I love it, but like if I'm gonna like pick, you know, my if I'm gonna do like a ch- like Chili Peppers in the chill mode, this is my preferred song. Yeah, you know, like I'm I'm into this one, and this one, you know, this song hit number twenty two on the Billboard Hot one hundred. It was it was a hit. And was it? And it was credited to the Conehead soundtrack, correct? It was yes. Okay. So that's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. Again, who would have thought like Coneheads would have a hit? Because so far this soundtrack isn't, it doesn't have a lot of standouts. Like it's kind of functional. Yeah, it, it really is very workmanlike. But then this is kind of an inexplicable hit song, which I'm all about. Uh, cut track from Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ronnie is trying to uh, make a move on Connie and he gets too handsy. Mm-hmm. No means no, Ronnie. No means no, man. Side and she says, you know, Daddy was right. And here's where I feel like there must be deleted scenes that we're not seeing. Like, what's the lost media of Coneheads? Because <laughs> we never see that scene, and we don't necessarily need to see it played out. But I would have liked to have seen more interaction and more 
pull between father and daughter. Maybe like, so, I feel yeah. like that's all kind of brushed off. You have that one scene, like take off the makeup and the tattoo, but we don't see as much of her kind of rebelling against her parents because she's first generation. Right. You know, she wants to be an earthling and they want to go home. Mm-hmm. And so I would have liked to have seen that story played out a little more instead of just hitting these sort of cliched beats. Right. And I think the only excuse there is just like, you know, this is a, a comedy they're, and they're trying to move as fast as they can. So you, yes, but you get it, what they're trying to go for, but they're just going to gloss over a lot of it. I guess. But it, it made me wonder if there were some cuts because later Primat will see Jan Hooks in the grocery store. Yeah. And it feels very sudden that she walks by her. Like, how would she know that's her? Um, like that scene where she tries to kiss Beldar and he tells her no and I'm not going to give you any more driving lessons there's never sort of there's never the scene where he comes home with lipstick on his cone and she's like what the hell's going on you know yeah like yeah. there's there it's never brought to completion every scene feels like a little bit of a sketch yeah and I guess that makes sense for an SNL movie but it does the story no real favors yeah yeah I, I agree there you know Beldar goes after Ronnie right breaks his car and tells him he'll kill him and uh primat goes to comfort connie and they talk about love and she has one of my favorite lines which i think i'm gonna start using um where she says i read in a magazine that you can talk to me about anything i wrote that one down too (laughs) which cracked me up oh man like that's exactly how how a a space alien would would think of it like yeah here's how to have these like human emotions this is what i'm supposed to say to you mm-hmm. oh man i'm trying to get us through here the next day Beldar and jason alexander go to the golf course and tom arnold shows up <laughs> and is the one and only person in the entire film to actually make fun of Beldar yeah. for his head and of course it's tom arnold because he that's 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 his character that's him it's his bit yeah but it was just one of those things like again it felt out of nowhere mm-hmm. like it just felt like we're gonna insert this now yeah and and you, you wonder if there's gonna be a whole thing where Beldar starts to have like second thoughts or feel bad about himself for being who he is but it never really comes up again it just again like at this point as they're trying to get us to the the end they're still throwing in jokes that don't really have punchlines. Yeah, they're just trying to like finish the story as quickly as they can. Yeah, but while still cramming in unnecessary jokes, like you could have removed that whole scene mm-hmm. and lost nothing. Although Ronnie does come up and say, you know, I feel really bad about what I did to Connie. I never meant to hurt her. So right. That so there's there's a very sweet scene there. And then Tom Arnold has to be like, hey, you have a pointy head. Yeah. It's like Tom Arnold. Nobody invited you. <laughs> But I also I do kind of like that the movie goes a step further than and like you see Beldar in the shower after after golfing and he's got I don't know how to to say it. He's got two wainers where his ass should be. So like you think the cone's the weirdest thing. Get a load of this. But he has no butt crack. He's got no butt. He has no bung hole. (laughs) And, you you know, and early in the film, we see that he he loves consuming teepee. Yeah. So <laughs> if we we've met we found Cornholio's Corn- Corn- match, everybody. Have. They they <laughs> must fight. Let they them must fight. Let them fight to the death. 
Good lord. But it's also here where there's a scene, there's like a, a quick, quick little scene where Beldar and Primat are going to bed. And after a short little conversation, they just have this exchange where Primat says, life on Earth is good. And Beldar goes, I agree. State, stability and contentment have been achieved. Like, what more could you want? They really have achieved the American dream. Right. Like, so now at this point, there's nothing left to do but to end the film. And so we do because they... Well, they don't. They have. They have to have a dance scene, a Halloween dance scene, where everybody dresses up in funny costumes, and Beldar is dressed up like Abraham Lincoln, and Primat's dressed up like Marie Antoinette. Or no, no, that's 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 a sex scene. <laughs> For the party, she's dressed up like lipstick. Okay, that's what that was. I was really like, is she a water heater? Like what? <laughs> what is this costume? Beldar is 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 awarded the golf trophy of the year which is something that he briefly is seen, you know, coveting at the golf course. Again, a little runner that means nothing. And as after he wins, the next song on our soundtrack plays uh, where he's dancing around on the floor, and it's Slash and Mike Monroe from Hanoi Rocks covering Steppenwolf's Magic Carpet Ride. Okay. Ooh, let's do it. Last night I song that slash said was supposed to go in the growing up montage scene absolutely not no way no thank you slash no what was our way. cultural obsession with this song in the 90s i don't know because it uh bedlam covered it in 1992 for reservoir dogs it appears in austin powers edgar winter covered it for star kid in 1998 like it's in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Like, why were yeah. we obsessed with this song? Because hippie there no culture... other sort of psychedelic '60s songs that we could have used. No, I mean, a whiter shade of pale is too slow and sad. So <laughs> I don't. Yes, know. but there's, I mean, there's incense and peppermints. Yeah, that's true. Austin Powers already did that. Yes, but it's i don't i just i don't understand why we were obsessed with the song it played all the time like i feel like it played at school dances oh yeah i think i think i remember that too yeah for sure like why were we obsessed with magic carpet ride like it's not a bad song this version in this movie is very bad oh i'm yeah i'm sorry this version is dog shit slash i'm sorry it just sounds like bad karaoke like they're not neither of them are like quite together it's extremely messy and, and they're not even like singing. The, they don't get the cadence right at all. Like it doesn't even sound like Magic Carpet Ride. Yeah, this sounds like the sort of white trash rock band that has been around for a hundred years that plays at your state fair every year, like yeah. in the beer tent. Your not local- like on the main stage, but like uh, like White Lightning plays in the beer tent the third night of the fair or whatever yeah it's like your local bar band but not the one everyone likes the one everyone sits through to get to the one everyone likes it's really bad it's it's atrocious but like <laughs> this the song soundtracks uh beldar dancing around the dance floor as only he can do he's like dan Eckwich just like kind of two-stepping around the floor by himself <laughs> again like the covers like why it's so strange it's so bizarre. They're like half commitment to it. 
Because this, this isn't even like the last cover we're going to get. No, it's not. I'll put this link in the show notes too. The the clip that I mentioned earlier on Slash talking about this song, he talks about how he loves this song and he's always wanted a chance to cover it. And this is his big chance. And buddy, I'm so sorry to have to tell you, it sucks. Yeah, you blew it. You blew it big time. But it's also here in the film where uh, the Coneheads learn that they are finally being picked up and rescued, taken back to their home planet. And Connie has to tell Ronnie that she's going away. Um, but she doesn't want to because she's in love with him. Uh, and we hear Soul to Squeeze one more time in the background. Yep, yep. Because like, the, the movie kind of knew it had a hit, so they played it again. Or, or I guess it's maybe it's Ronnie's theme. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but then the, He's more like a magic carpet ride guy. That yeah, that, that tracks. But then uh, Agent Seedling shows back up first as a Jehovah's Witness to kind of question the Coneheads, and then second time to actually like arrest them. As as the ship arrives to you know beam them up and take them home, and he and David Spade hitch a ride, and they're on their way back to Remulac for a scene that seems like it was made for like a Mel Brooks movie, because uh, we get to Remulac. And the king is played by Dave Thomas of SCTV. Yeah, so we're we're blending um, Saturday Night Live with their Canadian brethren. Right, right. And Beldar, he's he's convicted of treason because he capped his teeth. No, dental work is treason. On yeah, this of course, because all even the, the codes have like sharp, pointy teeth. Yeah, even though he brought them Eli and Sneedling with shock collars yeah. on them. So the same shock collar, of course, that Sneedling wanted. Ooh. Yeah. Wanted Good to put catch. on that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. Wanted to put on uh refugees. And he also brings them condoms and some stuff from his car. Right. <laughs> and uh he, he's apparently very pleased with this until he sees that Beldar's capped his teeth. And the sentence for which is uh to narfle the Garthok. <laughs> which is if if anything, if I've taken anything from this film for the last 30 years, it's the phrase Narfle the Garthok. <laughs> like it's one of those things like you you, you uh, like you know you're in good company if somebody yells out station or wheeze the juice or Narfle the Garthok. <laughs> Glad you remember that, because I've already lost it. Narfle the Gardok. <laughs> Narfle okay. the Garthok. And the Garthok's first victim, it's 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 like the Rancor from Return of the Jedi, but it's got a cone head. Well, it's um, a Phil Tippett. Yeah. Monster. Yeah. Um, it is stodgy even by 1993 standards. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, this is the same year Jurassic Park came out and clearly everyone was working on Jurassic Park. Yes, because it's like, it's clearly not moving quite right. Like it looks, it looks like the Rancor. Where yeah, it's it, just... Yeah too slow for the film and uh, you, you can tell that they didn't have much for it because this fight scene lasts about 30 seconds mm-hmm. because uh beldar uses all of his, the earth tricks that he's picked up along the way he sings tainted love to confuse it confuse me it sure would confuse me and then he uh make, makes himself a golf club hits a pebble into its throat and, and uh chokes it to death good for him and congratulations you choked a puppet <laughs> big man big strong man playing golf good for you sir with a puppet with a puppet 
And his prize for, for narfling the Garthok is that he is he requests to be taken back home to Earth so that, quote unquote, he may conquer Earth. But it's as, a ruse. It's a ruse. He turns out he uh, he just wants to go home and take and take Connie back home. And uh, he takes seedling with him so that he can get a green card so that he can legally stay. But he leaves the sniveling Eli uh, to kiss up to Dave Thomas. Yes. And which which he immediately slots into that role like a glove. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. David Spade gives a really very funny, very underrated performance. Mm-hmm. He's good so. in this. And the last scene of the film, uh, Con- Ronnie has showed up to take Connie to the prom. And we get we get another cover song in this film. This is a cover of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons' Can't Take My Eyes Off You by... Horton Harkett of AHA. Oh, is that who that is? I did not know. realize that. Okay, good. Cool. So let's, let's go to a clip of this one. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is your favorite song. This is absolutely my favorite. You're good at guessing. You'll see, this was all, was going to be my number two. And then I kind of thought, hmm, I do like the Chili Pepper song. But no, this I am is a kind of a dirtbag. No, I'm just kidding. You're not a dirtbag. <laughs> You're being nice. <laughs> but no, this is a wonderful little cover. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's like smooth, but... It's got an electric energy. It's updated, but not cheesy. Like, it's not a Michael Buble kind of pastiche. Mm-hmm. I'd listen to a whole album of standards by this guy. Yeah. I absolutely would. His voice is perfect. It's it's great. Yeah, I, I do like the arrangement, especially, like, the horns when they come in during that pre-chorus bit. That's It's it's so punchy and so good. For And I remember... I know that I knew this song ended the film. And I think for the longest time I'd thought this was the original. So I had to go back and listen to the Frankie Valley version to compare them. Like it can kind of throw you off because it sounds so authentic. Yeah. Like it's not corny. It's not ironic. Like it's a genuine cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a, it's a genuine song too. Like I, I don't dislike either version. Um, I'm, this one updates it sort of in the right way. Right. Um, this is the scene I remember from catching it on TV because it was like, mm-hmm. holy shit, Chris Farley. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is like the one scene from Coneheads I actually remember. <laughs> and I, I do have a special place in my heart for this song just because this is the song that Nikki and I sing at each other a lot. I, I think it's just because we both really like that one scene in uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, that's still where, sweet. Where Heath Ledger is, is so embarrassing. And I think we're both just trying to embarrass each other. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's fun but no i played this, this for her because she wanted to know you know what was on the soundtrack and i played this one for her and she like immediately just started dancing around like this oh is a great song. i love that maybe i should change my vote this might be my favorite song on the album ah <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff it's really so good. good like so like i said there are peaks and valleys the, the bad songs are really really bad but the, when the good ones hit oh they hit so hard they hit so well and there's a couple more yeah, because um, we there's a couple of songs that we could not find in the film, but they're definitely on the soundtrack. Um, would you like to 
to pick one out? Yes, um, Katie Lang and uh, Andy Bell of Erasure cover No More Tears, which is originally sung by Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer. Let's go to a clip. Um, another cover. This one is, um, it's a it's a pretty honest cover. Um, you could play this at the roller rink. I really like it. I'm always happy to hear Katie Lang every time she's uh, on the OST party. She oh, yeah. always brings it, and this is no this is no exception. I really this was it. almost my favorite. I almost yeah picked this one. I thought I thought you might. I know how I might. feel about Katie Lang. I really do, yeah. I do love the way this song switches gears midway through and becomes kind of a like a disco dance song. Yeah, which it's the great. original does as well. Oh, okay. Um, I went and listened to them. Um, but yeah, the only person who I think could really come close to matching like Barbara Streisand's voice would be mm. someone like Katie Lang. Yeah. It's just her voice yeah. is perfect. It's so good. It's so good in this. Like, I, I like no notes. It's so good. It's perfect. <laughs> I kind of uh, hate that this wasn't in the film, too. Yeah. Or if it was, it was buried way down in the mix. Right. Right. So. Uh, just like, um, let's see here. I guess the only other one we haven't. Well, there's a big one we haven't covered yet. But let's talk a little bit about, um, I don't know how to pronounce this, Chael Jow by Babel. Yeah. Let's go to a clip. This one feels a little like Cool World. It's because it's the Thompson Twins under a new name. Aha. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we're, I, I, we're only a year out from Cool World. And yeah, that's true. It's not the last Cool World reference I'm going to make tonight either. All right. <laughs> but no, I, I really like this is another one where like I got kind of lost in that beat. And like I could listen to this for days. Yeah. Well, they spent five weeks recording samples of music in India. And mm-hmm. you really hear that all yeah. over this. I'm. Um, because it, it really wouldn't be an early 90s soundtrack without a few stabs at electronica. Yeah, you got to put some house music in there at some point. Yeah, it's still going to take a few years uh, for it to fully take over American airwaves. And I think uh, Moby's play really may help make that transition. But I really like this as an addition to the canon, and I would dance all night to this. Oh, yeah, I'm into this one, too. Like the 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 tracks that kind of fall under the radar are kind of the best ones. They they are, and I don't know why they didn't fit them into the movie. Although if I had to guess, this one might have been in the dance scene. Uh, who knows? They they could have slotted this in anywhere, really, and you never would have noticed. <laughs> but then, um, I have the regrettable job of closing this soundtrack out. So, uh, can't take my eyes off you. Gets us into the end credits. And at, once it's over, uh, we get the last song on the soundtrack, which is called Conehead Love. And it's credited to Beldar and Primat and Nan Schaefer. This is the official Coneheads theme song, I guess. That's the official video. Uh, let's go to a club. Uh, 
feels the need to do this a lot right because it's not the first time he's done it he also did it on his dragnet movie city of crime which may legitimately be the worst song ever recorded because honestly this is a, this is at least a little bit funnier yeah where does that stack up with the bare naked ladies fight the power you know i think i'm gonna give dan Aykroyd the edge because he tried to rap first so he's his crimes are greater. His crimes are greater. Like, Barry Naked Ladies, all they did was try to do an ironic cover of, of Public Enemy. Dan Aykroyd like, really actually went for it with Tom um, Hanks. I also kind of can't tell if I love this or if it's just too silly for me. I got sort of uh, Hitler rap vibes <laughs> from this. Yeah. That yeah, was like the closest comparison I guess I could make. It's like, it kind of sounds like the Hitler rap. Right. Because the, the but, song... The song is all about the Senso rings and like Beldar and Primat kind of uh, doing a little bit of role playing and, and uh, getting themselves into the mood. And the whole it's a sex. This is a sex song. Like, I think is what makes it really gross for me because the yeah. Senso rings like they put them on their heads and that's how they fuck. Right. And I'm like, that's gross. I don't know why that like it weirdly bothers me. And I mean, the- I'm not here to kink shame. Do what you got to do. But it just like. I don't know. I mean, and the whole chorus is about is, is Dan Aykroyd singing about masturbating or how he doesn't want to hone alone. And then the, the girls come in and they're you don't have to hone alone. And like, I get the metaphor, but like, stop, just stop. And Dan Aykroyd, please don't. No. Um, and like they they do different videos. They do Robert Palmer. Mm. They do um, Bruce Springsteen. They do ZZ Top. And it's just like, uh, UHF did it better. Yeah, like, you guys have been beaten to the punch so hard on this. But thanks for trying. I like Connie's uh, chorus. That's kind of nice. Kind of Enya-esque. It gets into, like, a weird, like, I can imagine a more uh, fun version of this song where it's not about Coneheads. You know, like that, that could be a, a fun take. But every time it comes back around to Dan Aykroyd, we're like, oh, that's right. We're in still doing this. We're still doing this, huh? I, I do like the fact that they call out J. Robert Oppenheimer for some reason. Yes. Now, hear me out. OK. Because Oppenheimer is about to open. Right. Don't pair Oppenheimer with Barbie. Pair Oppenheimer with its true sequel, Godzilla. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there is a Godzilla movie coming out this year. So you could do it. You... Oppenheimer and Godzilla. He's basically Godzilla's dad. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't go for the uh, the 1993 Matthew Broderick one. Um, no, no, no. Go for the original. Or if if you're a, a, a real one, you know, go see Godzilla minus one in theaters this December. <laughs> but... Uh... I forgot to, I mentioned this earlier and I almost forgot it. The clip uh, of the video that I was, is on YouTube, it apparently comes from that same MTV special that the Slash clip was featured on. And before the music video starts, they play this heavy metal stinger. Did you recognize that song? 
I did not. It's Ministries NWO from the Cool World soundtrack. No. Yes. I don't oh, know God. why they used it. Yeah, because, okay, sure. And then, but it then launches into uh, Dan Aykroyd as Beldar telling us that he's about to drop uh, the greatest music video ever made on us. And then this happens. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the greatest music video ever made. Right. Uh, maybe yeah. <laughs> it's a shame that he didn't make a, a music video for like gross point blank or something, you know, <laughs> but uh, ladies and gents, that's Coneheads. Libby, what do you think of this soundtrack? I don't love it. It's pretty, uh, pretty mid. There's a couple good songs on here, but nothing essential. Joe? Right. Yeah. There's, there's a, a couple of tracks that I'm going to keep, you know, the solo squeeze. Is, I, I'm going to give that one a, a pass just because like I've always known that song, but the, the can't take my eyes off you cover is great. Um, the, the couple of, uh, I lost the name of the band, the, oh, the diggable planets track, the Babel track. Those are really good. Um, yeah. I could go my entire life without hearing another cover of magic carpet ride, magic carpet ride. Frankly, that's true. Yeah. There, there's more than two Steppenwolf songs in the world, people and bare naked ladies. You guys know what you did. Yeah. And we're never going to forgive you. I don't never. care that you wrote. It's all been done. I don't care. Your crimes are too great. Fair enough. That's Coneheads, everybody. A couple of good songs. A couple of really terrible tracks. Um, it's streaming. Um, or if you find it, you know, for 50 cents. It's worth picking up. It's not worth getting on vinyl. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. Um, Especially when I, we I, haven't had a repress of the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack, which is way better. That's true, yeah. And I think it's, it's odd that on... Um, like Apple streaming, like some of the songs are not available, but Conehead Love very much is. Damn it. God for that. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Libby, what's up for the show next time? Well, as we reach our 90th episode, we're doing another On the Fives, and we're going to be talking about our favorite songs from video games. And uh, we may have a special guest. We might. We're going to have to to pull some strings, line some things up, but I think we'll have a, a really good time talking about some classic video game tracks uh we'll have uh a great time talking about video games my i'm really excited my buds and i like we can't stop talking about video games um but uh anyway libby where can our listeners find you on the internets find me on twitter as long as it exists uh at libby cudmore i'm also the same over on blue sky you can find me on instagram at record underscore saturday or you can listen to me talking about season three of the righteous gemstones on the misbehaven podcast joe where can we find you uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Blue Sky and Threads at Cordial Wombat. All those places, I'm you know same name, Cordial Wombat. Uh, or you could hear me yell about Christmas movies all year long on the Christmas Creeps podcast. I'm supposed to be recording a an episode about the Claymation Christmas special this week, so look out for that. And you can find us online at OST Party on Twitter, OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. Send anything you want from questions to comments to recommendations. Uh, and last thing I will say is we would really love it if you would go to your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a star rating and a review. Tell people what you think of the show if you enjoy it. And uh, let us know how we're doing. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And... Come join our Discord channel, please. I would love to talk shop and talk soundtracks with y'all on Discord. We'll have the yes. links to that in our show notes. Uh, we want to, yes. yeah, we want to build a community. So come join us. Uh, so for the OST party, 
that about wraps it up. So I'm Joseph Wade. I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Consume mass quantities. Mm-hmm.